We are not here to be entertained by a man or listen to man's opinion. We are here for the sole purpose of hearing from you. So we exercise our faith now for divinely inspired utterance and the anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And thank you for the warm welcome. I certainly appreciate that. You must have missed my jokes from the last year or two. No, not really. But uh, basically, too bad Mark isn't here. He could, he could pick up on a new joke. <laughs> I do want to say before I get started that my wife, Lynn, uh, is really sad not to be here with me, with us. Talked to her this morning, and uh, she said to send you her love and her greetings. And we just got uh, a lot on the table back in Minneapolis at the moment, so she needed to stay there. But her heart is with us here. Um, you know, I can't always remember what joke I may have told before the last time I was here. So if this is a repeat, then just give me a courtesy laugh, and I'll be happy with that. But uh, there was this guy and his, uh, this gal and her husband you know, having a, a quiet moment together. They'd been married a little while now. And, uh, it was kind of an intimate moment. And she asked him a real, a real important question. She just said, honey, tell me what you really, really think of me. And without much hesitation, he said, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. And she looked very confused and said, well, uh, what, what does that mean? And he said, adorable, beautiful, cute, delightful, elegant, fashionable, gorgeous, and hot. And she said, wow, that just really, that's the sweetest thing I ever heard. Well, what does IJK mean? And he said, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can only tell that one when Lynn's not with me, right? But anyway. <laughs> She's listening. That's right. That's right. Well, um, you know, I'm excited to be a part of the conference this week. I always am. And it seems to me that I get as much or more than anybody else when I'm here, you know. So it's fun to see what not only the Lord brings through me, but of course all of the other speakers. And it's uh, been a special place a special time of the year for us. We missed being here last year, uh, but that means you get double this year, right? Do you believe for that? You get double the anointing, double the revelation, double the blessing. And it's interesting to me that uh, the name of the conference is, is Wisdom and Revelation. And uh, this, is, this is where I want to start off because those are two uh, scriptural concepts that it's important we have revelation of them. Uh, revelation, of course, is a, an enlightenment of truth. A, you know, an enlightenment that truth brings and only truth can bring. And wisdom is the ability to make that truth produce the desired result. Uh, these are kind of, you know, a mixture of other formal definitions you might find and uh, the concordances or commentaries uh, mixed with a little bit of my own vernacular. But that's the way wisdom and revelation, I think, should be uh, seen. Uh, the enlightenment that only truth can bring 
which is revelation. Wisdom is the ability to make that truth produce the desired result. Of course, I'm sure we all realize there are many examples of either of these things in operation. And, you know, there are a lot of people that have truth to some degree, but can't ever make it produce the desired result. You know, there are people that know the Bible says that, you know, prosperity, for instance, is the will of God for our lives and believe that. Yet, it never produces the result of increasing success in their life, which is what prosperity is. Wisdom is the ability to take truth and have it produce the desired result. And so as uh, we begin our look this week at the matters of revelation and wisdom, uh, we, we should start with revelation, of course, because wisdom hasn't got anything to work with without the truth having enlightened a person's heart. And so uh, basically, revelation for me uh, is something that uh, I had in the earlier stages of my life and ministry without realizing I had it. Uh, it's something that we should uh, be deliberately aware of and deliberately in pursuit of on a regular basis because you never get all you're going to get. Uh, it is an unending stream of enlightenment by the Holy Ghost. And essentially, you know, the moment we think we've arrived, we cut off uh, the, the, uh, the very revelation that would take us into the next level or next phase of God's ministry for our life. So it's an unending consideration. It will always be something we should be in uh, pursuit of, aware of, the need for, and, and going after it in the way the Scripture says that we should. And when I begin talking about Revelation... I can't help but think of uh, Mark chapter 4, uh, which will be our opening scripture this morning. Mark chapter 4, you know, of course, the parable of the sower uh, is given us by Jesus. And then, you know, when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable in verse 11. Jesus said this, unto you... It is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time, unless, of course, we could say, at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven, and then they too would have access to the mysteries of the kingdom. In verse 11 in Mark 4, it says mystery in the singular. It's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. And if you just stop right there, you'd think the only mystery that's being talked about is the mystery of sowing and reaping. Uh, but essentially, the other two gospel accounts of the parable of the sower in Matthew and Luke uh, give us the plural, mysteries of the kingdom of God. And uh, one of my commentaries or commentator that I've read says that, so we are being given the truth that the kingdom of God is a uh, 
uh, succession of mysteries, the revelation of that kingdom comes as a revelation of individual mysteries. And it's interesting to me as you study the word mystery in the New Testament, there are 10 or 12 different mysteries that the Bible talks about, which uh, some of which, you know, the Lord says, don't be ignorant of this mystery because it's given unto us to know the mysteries, plural, of the kingdom of God. And I would think these 10 or 12 different mysteries that are detailed in the New Testament, I've been in a series for about the last 14 or 15 Sundays in my church on the mysteries of the kingdom. Interesting that, you know, this is the title of this um, conference, Revelation, because that's the, that's the goal for us is to have these mysteries revealed to our understanding. God doesn't want anything to be a mystery to you, but I take these 10 or 12 things, and I say 10 or 12 because a couple of them look like they're uh, redundant. Uh, yeah, a little bit. They've already been talked about as a, a different mystery and different wording. Uh, but these 10 or 12 mysteries reveal things, I think, that are going to be common roadblocks to a lot of believers. And so he's highlighting these mysteries as be aware now, this is something that's given unto you to know, but you're going to need to know them. It's his will that you know them. For you to move down the path of um, success in the kingdom, growth in the kingdom, increase of God, the blessing of God in the kingdom, you're going to need to know these different mysteries. And it's given unto you to know them. Mystery is defined by W.E. Vine's Expository Dictionary. Um, well, you know what? I thought I might get through this without the need for my cheaters, but... Uh, the the uh, W. Vines Expository Dictionary says uh, that the Greek word musterion uh, in the New Testament it denotes not the mysterious as with the English word, but that which being outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension can be made known only by divine revelation. And is made known in a manner and in a time appointed by God and to those only who are illumined by his spirit. That's a really good definition of mystery. And it talks about uh, the challenge that we, not, not a challenge, but the understanding we have to have where revelation is concerned. If we don't have revelation of scripture in a particular area, it still falls in that category uh, where unassisted natural apprehension isn't going to give you the answer. It can be made known only by divine revelation and is made known in a manner and in a time appointed by God. There have been some things in my life that I really sought God about a revelation of and uh, never got it. And, you know, I was a little bugged about it. I didn't know who to be bugged at, myself or the Lord. You know, it's kind of that kind of thing. I mean, you, you know that it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. That's what he says. Yet there's a mystery here. Something I don't get, and I've prayed, supposedly positioned myself 
for revelation and is still not coming. And then suddenly it dawned on me that there are some revelations that are only going to come with time that involve growth and maturity in the plan of God. And they're only going to be, uh, there's only going to be, you know, a few of these kinds of things, but they're related to your capacity to endure the warfare that that revelation is going to bring because it will bring it. Uh, And you have to be mature enough to handle, you know, the warfare that's going to come. Because for you to take that next step, and that's a big one. Uh, especially if you've looked for answers and haven't gotten them, felt a little bugged about it. Am I uh, uh, spiritually inadequate somehow? No, don't think any of that. You have to trust the Lord that there is a timing uh, that requires you to reach a certain place, either in terms of your own spiritual maturity or your ability to accommodate the warfare that will be loosed. Because the enemy's there and he will lose it. As he sees you stepping into this next plateau uh, of God's will, you know, the warfare will come. And so there are going to be some things that you just need to, you know, trust the Lord about. You put it on a shelf. Brother Hagin used to say that. Just put it on a shelf. If you don't get it, uh, don't let it be a question mark that, Uh, The enemy magnifies in some negative way. Just put it on the shelf mentally and uh, the day will come when the Lord will show you what you need to see. But that having been said, when we see the word mystery in the New Testament, it is a reference to those things that have not yet been revealed to us that we are to know about. These 10 or 12 mysteries, I've been having a great time in my church preaching on them. And uh, a lot of things have been revealed to me as I've preached it. Um, Because there are like areas where the body of Christ, you know, is going to need some encouragement and prodding uh, and prompting, you know, to go after that revelation because it's not going to just automatically fall in their lap. And truthfully, no revelation just automatically falls in your lap. Not this kind of revelation. Now, some kind of revelation that God in his sovereignty just just brings you. Uh, And that's called the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Word of knowledge will come, and they'll just be knowing about something that you weren't even expecting or seeking God about. But he doesn't say that we're to live by the gifts of the Spirit. We're to live by faith. And we are to believe what we read here, that it's given unto us to know the mysteries of the kingdom. So we simply, we don't simply wait for God and his sovereignty to reveal something to us that we need to know. He'll do that occasionally through the gifts of the Spirit just because, you know, he loves us, we're his kids. uh, But we are to approach the matter of revelation differently. There are things that have to be in place in order for revelation to occur in your life. The first of those things um, is to acquire knowledge 
that God makes available to you, and that would be through the, the Word of God, first of all, which, as you know, is the general will of God for all believers of all ages. And so you need to gain knowledge of the Word by staying in the Word. That doesn't mean you have revelation of it, but God can't reveal something to you that you don't even know exists unless it is in His sovereign operation uh, a word of knowledge, which is not be, to be something we wait on. And so we are to acquire whatever base of knowledge through the Word we can. That's why reading and study of the Word is an ongoing process in your life. It is something that always should have a priority uh, assignment of time in your life because He can't reveal something to you that you really don't even have knowledge of. And here we see the connection, one of the connections that we can make between knowledge and, under, and, and uh, wisdom. Now, once the knowledge has been acquired, understanding, which is revelation, can come. And throughout the book of Proverbs, you see conceptually these things are linked. Frequently, he talks about knowledge and wisdom in the same breath that he talks about understanding. If there were to be a link between them, it would be first the coming of knowledge, <clears throat> and then secondly, understanding, which is a product of God revealing the truth to you about the knowledge you gained. You can gain a lot of knowledge of the Word. You can quote reams of the Word without having any understanding uh, you know, on a, on a heart level uh, of what your head has acquired. And so knowledge must be gained and then a positioning of your life for understanding to come, which is revelation, and then that's the basis for God's enabling you to make that uh, Un, that knowledge that you've gained understanding of, had revelation of, produced the desired result that that truth was intended to produce. This sounds like a lot of semantics here, and I don't want it to sound that way to you. I want you to be able to make these distinctions because, uh, you know, basically, you can know a lot of things without understanding beans. And you can gain understanding, but you still haven't arrived because the next step is to learn how to cause that to produce the desired result. And all of these steps are important. First of all, today, I want to talk about positioning yourself for revelation and how that revelation can occur and should occur in your life and that being first the acquisition of knowledge. But once you have acquired the knowledge, the next step is to gain understanding or revelation of that knowledge before it can even be positioned to produce the changes you want to see in your life. And so you've got the knowledge now. What do you do with the knowledge? I think at this point it's important we, under, we understand and recognize that in our dispensation, which is often referred to uh, 
is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. We call it the church age or the dispensation of grace or the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And of course, it is the Holy Spirit who is the agent of revelation in your life and mine. There are two thrusts or two prongs, I guess you could say, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine or a believer's life. And the first prong uh, of that ministry he brings to bear in you is to be through you for the benefit of others. And that's referred to in Acts 1.8 as the endowment of power from on high for the purpose of being his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that endowment of power is the first prong of the Holy Spirit's ministry. It is to enable you to carry uh, a, an irresistible anointing, if you want to call it that, that opens people to your witness. That's good. You, can, you can, you know, uh, certainly persuade people, which Paul has done, you know, uh, in his life, of course, as we see in the, in the Word. Uh, Paul has persuaded and, you know, used his intellectual skill to bring even other unsaved intellectuals to a route revelation of Christ. But persuasion is not the, you know, what the Holy Ghost brings you. He brings an anointing or a presence on your life that helps make you more irresistible to others as you are witnesses for Christ and will enhance your ability to bring change to the world around us. There are, there are a lot of believers that have been successful soul winners to a degree without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or at least that's the public belief because they're part of a denomination perhaps that doesn't teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yet they still win souls. But I've always wondered how much more effective could they have been if they had the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their life? Because this is the irresistible uh, the supernaturally irresistible component to your witness that will make you much more effective than you would otherwise be without it. And that's the first prong of the Holy Spirit's ministry to your life. And the second prong is to you as a believer. The first is through you to the unbeliever. Uh, the second is to you as a believer. And that would be Revelation. Now, as you think about it, you know, we've just looked at the word mysteries here in Mark chapter 4. And we can see the word mystery is always or frequently in the New Testament tied to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. We see, for instance, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, that... Um, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries unto God. Well, tongues, of course, are, uh, you know, the primary uh, evidence to you of the truth of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and His fullness in your life. I mean, you just know as you yield to the 
indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit by speaking in other tongues, you are giving way to his ministry in your life. And his ministry to you as a believer is one of revelation. Revelation of what? Well, what are you doing when you pray in an unknown tongue, when you give place to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? You're praying about mysteries unto God. He is through you. Praying about things that you don't yet have revelation of in the Word of God. And you're praying these mysteries unto God. And that's what makes Romans 8.26 so exciting. I, I love that passage as well, which tells us that when we don't know how to pray as we ought, and there are occasions when we don't even realize we don't know how to pray as we ought. Uh, you know, it's an area that we may think we're doing all right in, but we don't know how to pray as we ought. He says in verse 26, so the Holy Spirit helps our inability to pray as we ought by making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's tongues. Groanings that cannot be, as one rendering says, intellectually uttered intelligibly uttered, I'm sorry, that cannot be intelligibly uttered. Well, that's what tongues would be defined as. And so he's making intercession for you when you pray in tongues. You're praying mysteries unto God. What's the mystery here? You don't know how to pray as you should about a particular situation perhaps or other things that you may not even be aware of. So he's making intercession for you and then verse 27 elaborates by saying, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That suggests that much of the will of God is a mystery to this person or to you. And I would say they're certainly as old as I am. I should say as young as I am. But as, old, as long as I've been around, you know, this, uh, this never ceases to be true. There are things about the will of God that I know I still don't know. Because the time isn't right. Probably couldn't handle the warfare if the Lord showed me the next step at this moment. I don't know why. But these are things that need prayer just as surely as the things that you can pray for with your understanding. Even more so. And the good news is you can pray about it in tongues, in the Spirit. He is the one that has been entrusted with revelation to you of the things you need to know when you need to know it. And you enhance that revelation ministry of the Holy Spirit through the acknowledgement of His indwelling presence by yielding to prayer in the Spirit. Not just when you're in a, a crisis or an emergency, or when you've got a few extra moments here or there. No, there needs to be deliberate, devoted time to prayer in the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one that's praying about these things you don't know how to pray about. And that's why he goes on and says in verse 28, he says, and, it begins with a conjunction, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. This doesn't apply to every believer everywhere. You know, you can't just pull this out of the air or out of context 
and say, oh, well, all things are going to work together for good, you know, because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. No, the question is, are you yielding to the Holy Spirit and letting him make intercession for you according to the will of God? Even if you're not too sure what the will of God is, that means you need all the more than ever uh, to yield to prayer in the Spirit. And then you can say, now I know. Because the Holy Spirit is at work on this, now I know. Prayer is being made by Him, intercession for me, by Him. And so all things are going to work together for my good. But this still doesn't mean, just because you're praying for it at this point, this still doesn't mean that you're going to have the actual revelation of what it is you need. He's praying about it. He's making intercession for you. Even if you don't know and you're praying mysteries unto God, that's okay. He's got it. The prayer's going up and all things are going to work together for your good. But you may not still have the revelation come to you that you seek or desire. And so we go to 1 Corinthians 2. I've preached this, I think, in... in uh, either here or Alexandria at Mark's leadership, I'm not sure. But it's something I heard Patsy Caminetti pray about, uh, teach decades ago. But it was one of the most revelatory teachings for me where I was in my life at that point that I'd ever heard. And it has to do with, I guess we could start in verse 7. We can comment on all of these things a little bit. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. So how are we speaking then? We're speaking in tongues, right? That's what it said in 1 Corinthians 14 too. So if we're speaking the wisdom of God in a mystery, we're speaking in tongues. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So there are going to be things that are hidden. For reasons of reducing the magnitude of the warfare and the effectiveness of the warfare that the enemy might come against the plan of God for your life with. Because the next verse, verse 8 says, none of the princes of this world knew. Right. Why? Because, you know, the prayer uh, that was going forth wasn't intelligible to him. None of the princes of this world knew. And he's saying, man, this goes back to the hidden wisdom. The wisdom that relates to the redeeming grace of God for your life. Because it talks about they would not have e even have crucified the Lord. They wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory if they had had a clue to what was going down. And this involves God's redemption for you. God's redeeming grace for you. Which is a little bit different for every individual. God's redeeming grace for me is flavored by the call of God on my life, my gifting, both spiritual and natural. You know, his redemption and its final outworking will look a little different for me than it does for David or anyone else because we're all unique in the kingdom. To redeem means to recover something which is lost. But the final essence of that recovery is going to be in accordance with your gifting. Spiritual and natural. Don't ever just 
bundle redemption up into to one word that applies to everybody, well, it does in a general sense. If you've been saved, you've been recovered from a, a separation from God. You've been recovered from something unto something. You've been, un, you've been recovered unto an experience that is glorious beyond your imagination, that is eternal, that is going to be just a wonderful thing. But specifically on this earth, those are things we have in common about redemption. But specifically on this earth, God's redeeming grace is going to take a different look for each one of us depending on his will for us and the associated equipping spiritually and naturally, gifting. You know, that, that'll look a little different. So I want you to see that he's not just talking about, you know, the actual crucifixion which none of the princes of this world knew, but rather the result of the crucifixion, which is God's redeeming grace to be realized by each and every one of us. They don't know anything about that. They didn't know and don't know. But we speak about it in a mystery, the wisdom of God in a mystery, which none of the princes of this world had any knowledge about nor still do. So then he says some important things in the next couple of verses. Verse 9, as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Meaning God's will for your life is a mystery. Nobody can tell you what you should do with your life. I don't care how much you respect their intellect. I don't care how valued they may have been when you were in school as a professor or a teacher, somebody you respect, your parents. No, nobody has a clue to the will of God for your life and all this incorporated. I hadn't seen it, ear hadn't heard it, neither has it entered into the heart of man. The things that God hath prepared for them that love him. That also suggests from the tone of this verse that it is far greater than you might have assumed. I hadn't seen it. Ear hadn't heard it. Neither has it entered the heart of man. Man, I, I, you know, God's plan for you is so far, so far surpasses your ability to realize the magnitude of the impact he wants you to have on this world and this life. Most of us just don't have a clue. We're so busy, you know, fighting to keep our head above water now. Sometimes it seems like that we can't even begin to stretch our imagination enough to gain a glimpse of the magnitude of what we can and should be in God because he's prepared it for us. That's the first thing you've got to believe. I mean, we, we know ourselves so well, we get so used to looking at ourselves through the lens of our own inadequacies that nobody knows any better than you do. That it's hard to envision sometimes that God can use me in a world-changing capacity. Me. How ridiculous is that to the natural mind? 
And most everybody thinks that because no one knows your weaknesses any better than you do. Or knows your past any better than you do. Which incidentally, you're supposed to forget. You're supposed to put it out of your mind. But still, it always seems to be there. And it reduces the magnitude of what we think we can do in the kingdom of God. But if you read the commentaries about this particular verse, I mean, uh, this has to do with magnitude as much as it does anything else. The fact that, yes, you're not going to learn this through any other man, any other woman. This is going to be revealed by the Holy Spirit or not at all. Because nobody else has this insight or is worthy for you to accept as a source of information regarding what you should do with your life. How many of us as parents either have or will make an effort to constrain our kids to go into a certain line of study or, you know, a certain uh, vocational pursuit? We think that would be good. I wonder how many people, I've never, I've never had a desire to be a doctor. God bless doctors. I love doctors. They're wonderful. Uh, but everybody wants their kid to be a doctor. And I've always wondered why. Uh, that's not something I've ever been slightly, you know, uh, I can't imagine cutting somebody open and looking at all of that and trying to make heads and tails of it and having their life hang in the back. I don't want any of that. But uh, how many parents have told their kids, you know, you need to go to medical school and be a doctor? Or some father wants their sons to follow in their footsteps and they say, you need to do this. You need to take over the family business. You need to do that. But we can't fall into the trap because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has conceived or understood what God's plan for you is. And then add to that the magnitude that's being implied here. And you'll see the importance of the Holy Spirit's ministry of revelation to your life. But God, in verse 10, hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Well, if he's revealed them unto us by his spirit, you know, that's past tense. Why haven't, why haven't I seen them? Why, haven't, why hasn't the revelation seemingly been manifest to me? Well, keep reading. Verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Okay, so why don't I? Verse 13 tells us which things also we speak. And then you might stop right there and think, how can I speak about something? I don't know what it is. And then, then he finishes by saying, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. No, you haven't spoken about them with your natural understanding, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Of course, this is talking about praying in tongues. That's the only way you can speak about the things that God has prepared for you, which you don't even, you're not even aware of at this point. 
in which the Holy Ghost teacheth. That's your prayer language. That's prayer in the Spirit. That's tongues. But I want to read to you the amplified rendering of verse 13, which makes this a little bit clearer. Verse 13 in the Amplified says, We are setting these truths forth in words not taught by human wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit, combining and interpreting. You might underline interpreting or write it in the, uh, you know, in the sidelines there next to the verse if you don't have an Amplified. Combining and interpreting spiritual truth with spiritual language to those who possess the Holy Spirit. Now, all those decades ago, after I had heard Patsy preach this, you know, uh, I, I changed my prayer life. Uh, I still, I prayed in tongues a uh, pretty good bit, you know. I understood the power of it. And, um, and it always, it made me feel good. And that's called edification. It, it, he who prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So if I was uptight, I could always get edified by praying in the Holy Ghost. And it used to work for me, you know, if I got fearful about something. And, you know, it's hard to admit to yourself, much less anybody else, that, oh, ye great man of God, you know, you get in fear, but you do. And, uh, you know, I can remember an occasion, I think I might have shared this here before too, but um, I was flying, that used to be what I did, I still do, uh, but I did it for a living before ministry. I was an Air Force pilot for five years and then had an air freight business and flew for another ten before uh, I got into ministry. So I'd flown all my life and I was, uh, I had had a little... Uh, a little, a small twin-engine airplane that I had was hopping between cities. I had an air freight business, and I would typically go visit uh, the different operations in Detroit and Cleveland, and Indianapolis, and Chicago, and across the Upper Midwest. And uh, uh, I had had a meeting at, I think it was in Cleveland, and I was flying uh, back to Memphis, I believe, and I was somewhere in the vicinity of Indianapolis because I remember talking to. Indianapolis Center, and it was at night, and there was weather around, which is, you know, makes things a little bit tense anyway, uh, but then I lost an engine, and I lost my right engine, and um, now it really got tense, you know, because not only is it night and weather, but you got an engine out, and I had to, you know, find a place I could land pretty quickly, so I'm talking to Indianapolis Center, and uh, telling them I need vectors to you know, uh, an airport reasonably close by, and they're, they're giving me that. And, uh, and I was really battling a little anxiety here. And that's not good because it clouds your, your thinking somewhat. And so I started praying in the Holy Ghost. And it's like that, that cloud of fear or anxiety just dissipated and just went completely away. And the peace of God filled the cockpit and everything wound up good. But I learned that, uh, in the early stage that, you know, praying in the Holy Spirit does indeed edify you. It lifts you out of the stress and the fear of the moment. Uh, it was kind of funny, actually, in retrospect, 
Um, Indianapolis Center called me back after, you know, I had originally contacted them and they told me that my last transmission was garbled. They didn't understand what I said. And I, because I was so uptight, you know, on the yoke, you know, the mic switches on the yoke under your forefinger there. And I was holding that yoke so tightly, I had the mic switch squeezed and didn't realize it and was broadcasting all over the upper Midwest in tongues. And, uh, and so they, they called me and said, that last transmission was garbled. And so I, I let off a little pressure on the yoke. But it absolutely dispels fear. And it, it, it edifies you, it builds you up and replaces that, that, that evil, intimidating atmosphere that uh, begins to surround you in that kind of situation with the peace of God, the presence of God. Uh, and, you know, and you know everything's going to be cool. I actually enjoyed the rest of the flight and watching how the Lord, you know, put all the little pieces together and brought me down in uh, a little city outside Indianapolis. Okay. But the thing that uh, I kind of got off track there, the thing that I wanted to say about verse 13 is that in addition to that, which is something I'd always appreciated and motivated my prayer in the Holy Spirit, until I heard Patsy's teaching, it was something that, uh, the, that I wasn't doing and that I was looking for and in expecting to listen in on the Holy Spirit's intercession for me according to the perfect will of God or whatever he was having me pray about. I could listen into it through and believe for the interpretation, and it would come. And this is the way most of my revelation over the last two or three decades has come. I devote a particular amount of my prayer time uh, every day to just praying in the Spirit. And if there are things or something that I need to know more about that I don't know about, then, you know, Lynn calls it setting, something making my nose itch. Must be your cologne, David, or something. I don't know. But, you know, uh, you set your sail in prayer by, uh, you know, focusing your attention in the area uh, the, where you're looking for answers, where you know you don't know how to pray as you ought. A lot of times you know. Uh, something, you know, there have been business meetings I've had, and I wanted a little insight, you know, on how to best address the people I'd be dealing with. I've had bankers meetings when difficult requests had to be made. And, uh, you know, I needed, I needed some insight. I needed solutions to problems in the ministry, budget shortfalls or, you know, uh, staff problems or things that occur in the ministry, not the least of which is good sermon ideas. I think, you know, uh, the best sermons I've ever ministered are the ones that I have really prayed about in the Spirit, and I've gotten supernatural insight into, and things that uh, could only come through the interpretation of what the Spirit of God is praying to me, through me, about. I mean, I don't know how I would have survived in ministry without this understanding. But when we talk about positioning ourselves for revelation. This is so important. 
you don't just pray in the spirit occasionally because you're a Pentecostal and that's the thing to do. And, or because as I knew, it brought edification to me and uh, the kind of atmosphere I wanted to live in as opposed to the, uh, the enemy's options. Now, those are good reasons, but no, you need to be deliberate in praying in the Spirit when you've got areas where you need revelation and you know you do, you don't have answers to something, there's a problem you're faced with that falls under the arena of your responsibility. Uh, you know, you need to set your sail in prayer as you're praying in the Spirit Focus your attention in that direction. Pray in the Holy Ghost. And for me, you know, I, I totally expect the light to come and, and to see something. Because that's what always happens. Unless I'm in a distracted state. You can't do this if, if you're on, under a time pressure and you've got 10 minutes to pray in the Holy Ghost. and Come on, Lord. I need to see it. Hurry up, Lord. I need to see this. Forget it. You simply need to relax in the presence of God and, and don't allow distraction to enter in. You're just going to look into that area that you're believing for direction or revelation in. Pray in the Holy Ghost and bang, it'll come. I mean, the Every solution to every major problem I've gotten over the last probably 40 years has come this way, or 30, however long it's been since I heard that message, uh, has come this way. Um, the things that, you know, represent my most anointed sermons, the, the most ingenious solutions to problems that occasionally I like to try to take credit for, but I discovered you can't do that either. Uh, but, you know, have come this way. And be quick to give the Lord credit when he shows you something. Don't be one that casually uses the terminology, God showed me this. God revealed this to me. Uh, you know, as a way to elevate your spirituality in someone else's life. Don't dare do that. Don't demean this process by doing that. Just, you know, give God credit from a heart that is genuine when he gives you an idea that brings deliverance or blessing to your life, then very genuinely let it be known that that's what occurred. But don't use that terminology just because it makes you seem like a more spiritual person or something. Uh, that, that would be trouble. But, you know, give God credit, look for it, uh, pray in the Holy Ghost when things get tough, uh, or even if they're not tough. You know, the next, the next step in his plan for your life. Lord, what, where does that look like? I'm not sure where to go from here. 